coming up. I've never been to a Derby away game before. I probably won't go again. Something has tipped over the edge a little bit if we could both pull back from those realms and away from the edge of the cliff. It converts something that should be a positive thing into something really appalling. There seems to be more spite and I don't know when or why that changed. The Bandy and Shinty podcast. Hello and welcome to another Forest-related discussion from all the team behind Bandy and Shinsey. Thank you for downloading, and if you've enjoyed these pods so far, there's more of the same kind of stuff in issue 6 of the Bandy and Shinsey magazine, which will be available very, very soon. Now, as you'd expect from Bandy and Shinsey, this is going to be a very grown-up discussion. No, no, really it is, about the rivalries between local teams. And you can't really talk about that without covering the legendary dynamic between Forest and Derby. Now, we had a local Derby recently, I mean, how could you forget? And Sean went along on a coach down the 52 for the very first time, well, at least in a coach. And you didn't turn up with any kind of agenda, did you, Sean? You just wanted to go and enjoy the football. I don't hold as much truck with the rivalry as most other Nottingham fans because I don't come from Nottingham. But you were, you were shocked. Sort of oh, obviously so. Take us through what well, happened. I had to take the coach because my wife wouldn't let me drive to Derby. That's the first thing. <laughs> so you, you, you drove along Brian Clough Way. What could possibly go wrong? Well, absolutely. It's a nice drive into Derby, but definitely. We're joking about this, but you actually were quite shots and appalled at some uh, of the things that went on yeah I was it's just um, like I say I think I was just naive I've never been to a Derby away game before I probably won't go again not just because of the result so what 31,000 there so you got 28,000 baying fans I've never experienced that before and I don't understand fans not watching the game and watching rival fans and just baiting and pointing and shouting and I don't get that I'm there to watch the football some of the vitriol from people that you look, and you shouldn't judge a book by a colour, but you look at some people, you think, you're probably a doctor or a dentist or something. You know, you just look normal. And they're just as bad as someone else you look at and you think, yeah, you look like a bit of a thug. And then there was that chant, which, I mean, I was speechless. Which kind of brings us on to a wider discussion about the whole kind of rivalries and whether what's behind them, uh, whether they're actually sort of whipped up by the press as well. Where does this all come from? And, I mean, as, as somebody who's born and raised in Nottingham and has lived here for the vast majority of my life, half my mates are Derby. I don't know what's happened over the past four or five years, but the nature of the rivalry has changed from what it once was. There, there seems to be more significance attached to the games now. There seems to be more spite attached to them. And I don't know when or why that changed whether it's the media feeding into it. I mean, you'll get East Midlands news frantically stoking these things up on the eve of every single game, and you'll get the two sort of factions with the scarves. It will be, you know, very sort of choreographed in terms of stoking the fires. So is is the rivalry between Forest and Derby any worse than any other rivalries, or is it just born out of a recognition that we are so similar to each other that we are each other's reflection? I really like the concept of rivalry. I think rivalry is important. I think it adds something to the games. I loved Nathan Tyson's flag waving. I thought the reaction to it was very childish from Derby. I love the fact that Robbie Savage still feels the need to to tweet us every time Derby beat us. I think that's great that there is that connection between the two clubs and that there is an extra sort of spice to those games and meaning to them. And I love beating Derby. It's a great feeling when we beat Derby. What I don't understand is when that goes across the line and just turns into this kind of vitriolic hatred for each other because we are the reflection of each other. It's it's incredible. I I don't know if there are two clubs that are so tightly interwoven as Forest and Derby. It's that kind of relationship where one could be the other. But actually, it's almost like a sibling rivalry. 
it's that closely connected and to get to the point where you know we've got forest fans singing philpot songs and we've got derby fans singing about nigel doughty is just a complete it's disappointing but it, it converts something that should be a positive thing into something really appalling and unpleasant that you don't want anything to do with and then you don't want to go to the derby games mm. because of that i almost want to say and I, I don't like to swear on these things but it's a bastardization of what the relationship should be that's not swearing no is it not no, no, it's that's fine. for a whistle with you that <laughs> it gets stoked up every year even more now rivalry is a great thing it's, it's what we love about football there's nothing better than beating your rivals and you define yourselves in many ways by uh, your relationship with your rivals but uh, as, as we've probably very clearly made clear that something has tipped over the edge a little bit in the last you said five years Phil I'd say perhaps ten years as well to be honest with you where we've, we've gone into realms that it would be lovely if we could both pull back from those realms and away from the edge of the cliff so when I was in a shop the other day in Nottingham and, and there was a, a lady in there talking just absolute bile about uh, Derby didn't get the impression she was even a fan of football so there's no actual kind of like you can put your finger on it you can nail down what the kind of animosity between the two sides is there's no standout thing it's just it's what you're meant to do it's how you're meant to feel I mean my wife grew up on the west coast of Scotland in a you know mad keen family of Celtic fans I should emphasise she has no interest in football purely because of her experiences growing up in that kind of prism of the Rangers Celtic thing school buses being egged and you know stuff shouted on the streets and graffiti and that was her prevailing understanding of, of the relationship between football teams now clearly that's not the case because you know Rangers and Celtic both as a fan base and as football clubs just need sending off to an island somewhere but at the same time it was this vicious sort of time-honoured kind of thing that doesn't have its roots in any one particular event or moment or anything like that it's just what you do and it's put her off off football for life she just doesn't like it because her ongoing understanding now is that that's how football supporters behave and it's it's really weird for me to go full circle and come back to the fact that a lot of my good mates are derby i remember sitting in a canteen a few years ago at work talking to a guy called simon big derby fan and somebody came over who had no real investment in football or forest or derby and was just stood there with a daft grin on their face going oh you two together gonna kick off and then <laughs> but yeah the expectation is that there are grounds set there are lines drawn and there's a way that it's meant to be i was at reading a few years ago at some sort of do and i was trying to explain to one of the reading fans how the Derby Nottingham thing works and the only similarity he could think of was the way they don't like Bracknell apparently <laughs> and he couldn't explain to me why they don't like Bracknell but it was that same sort of thing it's a funny one though because that, that shows the importance of geographical relationships with Forest Derby because, you know you've got the actual proximity of the two I think Reading's closest rivals historically are, are Swindon and Oxford mm. neither of whom are within 25 miles of Reading. I don't think they like QPR either, but that's just because of hoops, I believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it opens up a, a more a broader conversation about what establishes rivalries and what creates them. I think Reading's um, probably a bad example because Reading. It's Reading, isn't it's it? Reading. They used to be sponsored by Waitrose. <laughs> yeah. um, it's that whole conversation we had with Colin Frey uh, yeah. you know, a few months ago. Reading. Reading. <laughs> Maybe more. rivalry, but what you're saying there is rivalry comes from, it's, it's something very primal. It's something deeply, deeply inherent in the human condition to hate that next village, even if you're in Stone Ages, who are down the road and yeah. through the other side of the path because they're a threat to you. Maybe that's, that spills over into football quite regularly. Let's not forget that there are other rivalries up and down the championship everywhere that you might see. 
Maybe maybe we are hardwired to simply detest that other lot down the road, even though the rational part of you realises that they're pretty much the same. I think that's, that's a different. very good point. Reading, by the way, always just made me think of Enya. If football clubs were bands. Orinoco, flow, <laughs> Enya. Just <laughs> meh. So I've got a lot of American friends who are fascinated by the idea of, of rivalries because England is an unusually small country. <laughs> for you know so many distinct arbitrary rivalries i mean this year you're going to have in the top flight you're going to have brighton palace who yes. loathe each other even though it's not geographical. absolutely loathe each other and that's you know that's not geographical the american thing's quite an interesting comparison really because american sport is a very different product um and you go and they entice you to spend as much money as possible in their their stadia they're not a very crowd orientated mm-hmm group they tend to be more about oh look there's a camera that might point at me and look at me at the game mm-hmm. kind of thing rather than in an english culture we're much more about don't look at me blend in mm-hmm. to the crowd and we just become one kind of mass supporting our team and i like it that you've got two noisy fan bases going at each other it's possible to make fun of another team it's possible to have a, an intense rivalry without turning to what is basically offensive uh, attitude towards people you know these are human beings at the end of the day we should have lines that we can naturally kind of roll up to and like i say i like it when players join in i liked it when you know, we had years and years ago when matty fry was at walsall and he got ribbed because he turned us down mm-hmm. we tried to sign him and he turned us down so the away fans then from forest just gave him abuse the whole time and having a pop at him about you know not coming to a big club and all that kind of thing and then he scores the winning goal against us and of course he comes back with his own sort of little rebuke to that great because suddenly all these people are offended that's not the way that it should be it should be about that sort that's banter that's having a laugh with each other and being sensible about how that relationship kind of works it's don't take offense by it. it is is ridiculous but to cross that line and to start going into very personal territory that is just downright offensive is is a line that we shouldn't be crossing does it affect the way that forest play for instance over at derby the record isn't great playing away at derby does that does it spill over that kind of animosity to the kind of performance of the players or is that a bridge too far just going back to that record i got a lot of derby friends on my twitter timeline for putting or trying to point out the fact that i think in 15 games at pride park we've been in the lead for precisely 43 minutes which, uh, whichever way you look at it, isn't a great record. Yeah, I, I think it does. I don't see how it can't. I mean, earlier we, we've mentioned how perhaps some of the Forest players played the occasion and not the game. There's been uh, so many sendings off in that uh, fixture down the years. Conversely, it was interesting to see some people take objection to the fact that Forest players didn't put their bodies around a little bit, didn't pick up a yellow card, which is interesting because David Nugent did precisely the opposite. He barged Mancian out of the way in order to uh, have a psychological reaction on the Forest players, which I think it did. And then that confirmed Derby's supremacy at that moment in time. So they play the needle in correctly the right way. And I think some players, it must be very difficult to harness the positive energy of being playing a huge game with your rivals, but also staying in control. So it must be a, a fascinating game to play in, um, yet yeah, a, a, a horrific one to lose. I think what's interesting as well is that the games there and the games here have always been completely different beasts. As football matches, Forest Derby games at the city ground tend to be a lot more watchable. But there's this caginess to games at their end that just seems to be like omnipresent. It's there year on year where 
you talk about playing the occasion and everything like that yeah. is which is that I've always wondered from the point of view of a professional footballer if you are for some reason the words Greg Halford have just popped into my head but if you've had nothing to do with the, the structure and the history of Nottingham Forest and you turn up and people say it's your first Forest Derby game at Pride Park and people say oh we've got a dreadful record there mm. realistically you don't care I mean, you're Greg Halford, you don't care about very much. <laughs> but you've not, the point is you've not been a part of those historic failures and things like that. And we've had such a turnover of players yeah. in recent years that there shouldn't be any sort of hangover or, or legacy issues with that. And yet you only ever really see one kind of performance from Forrest at yeah. Pride Park. And it's mm-hmm. this cagey, edgy, you know. Uh, yeah, but as a human being, you buy into it. I mean, I, I'm sat here and Sean as well. When we're not from Nottingham. I'm, I've grown grew up in Rotherham. Uh, somebody has to, etc. But... <laughs> Um, so, so, so I, I as a Forest fan buy into that rivalry um, and, I, and I feel it I'm not sure I can ever feel it on the level of you know growing up in, in Nottingham so, so, so when Forest play Rotherham you, you said off mic Phil I, I basically have kittens when Forest play yeah. Rotherham I, I hate it intensely every single second because I'd spent you know I'd, 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 um, as a kid five year old six year old I'd go and watch Rotherham down the road and I really want Rotherham to do well and then they went and did really well and started playing Forest regularly and they were horrific games to watch because I knew that from my friends I'd always have whoa support your local team your scab etc um, fortunately we never these lost. are his mates <laughs> Talking about rivalries and geographical location, South Yorkshire is a fascinating uh, yeah. petri dish of, of rivalries because, let me see if I can get this right, Doncaster hate Rotherham, but Rotherham hate Sheffield United. Barnsley don't really figure into it. Everybody hates uh, Sheffield United anyway, so that's not too bad. And and then you chuck in somehow uh, over the years, and, and this might be a relatively new phenomenon, I'm going to say last 10, 15 years, Forrest have found their way into that rivalry with Sheffield United, yeah. which is doubly fascinating because a, a kind of a loving has sprung up between Forrest and Sheffield Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. Because we talked about Derby and Forrest being very similar clubs. Well, in many ways, Wednesday and Forrest are in, in some respects, but that's not outright animosity. That's like oh they're just like us wishing well let's hope you go up to the Premier League lads so there's a whole nature of different rivalries going on and it's very difficult to pin down exactly I think one thing we can all agree on is that we ate Gillingham could we all get on board with that one and that's simply borne out of because they from my perspective anyway because we just really couldn't beat them when we're down in League One. And this is going to sound incredibly pompous and arrogant, but they represented that reality, that gobsmacking reality that you're in League One and you're playing at a ground where there's not a proper away stand and, and, and you still can't beat us. There's two things about it. I just wanted to say, by the way, before we carry Do, on with Gillingham. Shall we? You just mentioned Matty Fryer. If you're out there, Matty... Because no one's heard from you for a while. Are you all right? Are you all right? Please let us know you're okay. I completely forgot he existed yeah. as a footballer. We've had too many of those over the years. Gillingham, I'll tell you what it was for me, specifically about arrival with Gillingham. Marlon King. When we were attempting to sign Marlon King, this was round about the time that I first started using football forums. Uh, so this would have been, what, 2004? It was an old one called Rivals, so pre-Twitter. And it was basically this open platform where fans of different teams would interact. It was the venom of that, the real chip on the shoulder thing of the you're not famous anymore Mm. thing. Mm. And I'd never really seen it expressed outside of that song before. But when you get into the myriad reasons why fans of a smaller club 
hate you for any kind of historical <laughs> achievement or accomplishment. And it did seem a genuine hatred, the, the temerity of Nottingham Forest trying to sign Marlon King. I think he was in prison at the time, which yeah. made it even better, because yeah. he wasn't playing for anybody. Of course. He was inside. Yeah. And yet there was a, this like war waged over the soul of Marlon King. <laughs> and that was why, when people started saying last year, very dangerously, would it be that bad if Forrest actually went down to League One? Yes, it would. <laughs> Remember them three years? Yes. Scunthorpe, 4-0 at home. Every single game, it seemed, or every single other week, it would be this this reminder of, like, this is who you are now. You're back in your place. And it was this real sort of almost karmic response yeah. to, yeah. you've had your day in the sun, now we're going to make you suffer for it. So that's League One. I never want to see Forrest at that level ever again. It was a horrible three years, hated every single minute of it. What's interesting, to some degree at least, is that whilst I, I, I'm not big on Gillingham, and it seems there's not a lot, a lot of love for Gillingham in this room at all, Walsall beat us every time as well. Mm-hmm. For I, I, One of those inexplicable reasons, I don't mind that. I quite like Walsall, I hope they do okay. Don't ask me to explain that, I'm not quite sure there is a rational explanation. But they're all right. That's okay. Whereas I'm sure there are individually other clubs uh, that you might take a dislike to for for no rational reason whatsoever. Wolves. No, I'm not going to ask you for a reason. Michael Branch, I'll give you one. That's reason enough, frankly. I'd I'd like to think I have a a compelling reason for disliking every other football team in Britain. If you pushed me on it, but there are—that's a list. Oh yeah, that's a list. Well, maybe in the future (laughs) we can do that. We've we've done breeds of dog, so next time maybe teams we hate for no reason. I think we need to um, consider wrapping jokes because Dave's got an appointment on loose women, isn't it, uh, Dave? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got lots to talk about. uh, Lots of things happening. Just before we finish though, what would Brian Clough have said? Did he get involved in the kind of rivalries or was he too professional for for all of that? He very much got involved with it. I think in the aftermath of his time at Forest, he spent as much time as possible pointing out how much he enjoyed living and working in Derby. (laughs) So so there's there's many extenuating reasons for that. He'd have played it sensible, wouldn't he? He would have said that... I think there was always a sense that he wanted to win that game though. I'm sure I've heard former Mm. players say that so that you go and you win that game I thought Nigel's been interviewed recently because obviously we've played Burton just after the Derby game and he said they've got something extra and you've got to go and do that you've got to go in and have that battle mm-hmm. and I thought that was quite interesting because when Nigel was at Burton some Forest fans turned at Derby sorry some Forest fans sort of turned against him because he did put the niggle into the Derby mm-hmm. game but I think he's right there's got to be a bit of niggle there's got to be something extra about the Derby game and Nigel gets that and if he was at Forest he'd have probably done the same thing it's just a special game in that sense for anybody who ever doubts Brian's you know real commitments to Forest as if they ever would when we met and interviewed Liam O'Kane for the last issue Alan Hill and Liam O'Kane was a great story Liam O'Kane got suspended for Forest drawing two all with Derby in a reserve game where it was the first Forest Derby fixture of any stature after Peter Taylor had gone to Derby Mm. and Liam O'Kane was shocked to find rather than naming his own team for the reserve game was shocked to find that Cluffy had put the entire first 11 (laughs) for the reserve game that night and the first 11 weren't impressed with this because they had a game at the weekend and were losing 2-0 after half an hour and Alan Hill was sat next to 
Cloughy in the stands and said, I've never been so scared in my life or so glad that I wasn't Liam O'Kane <laughs> at that point. Drew to all in the end. But the actual reason he was suspended was he sent somebody up for a corner who wasn't meant to go up. But yeah, he was he was told if you argue with me, if you say anything in the office afterwards, you're fired. And he basically had to sit there, take a <laughs> was told not to come back in for a while think about what you've done think about what you've done he said he nearly walked his dog to death over the following week wondering if he still had a job and then one morning Liam O'Kane's wife got a phone call and said it's Brian Clough and didn't believe it was Brian Clough asked them who it was and why they were taking a established it was Brian Clough in the end handed the phone to Liam and his voice just said I'll see you on the squash court tomorrow morning and the phone went down Brilliant. And it was never discussed again. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You always feel better if it ends on a great Brian Clough anecdote, don't you? And that was a brilliant one. Thank you, Phil. Thanks also to everyone for taking part. Phil Juggins, Steve Wright, Sean Hockett, Dave Marples. I'm John Anderson. Also keep in touch with us on Twitter. And thank you to a mate of mine who came out of nowhere to tell me that he once served Steve Chettle when he was working in McDonald's. Uh, that was a few years ago, apparently. He didn't say what he served Steve Chettle in McDonald's. That's the kind of detail we need. So I wait to hear from you again, mate. Don't forget that issue six of Bandy and Shinty the magazine is out soon. Uh, please get your orders ready. You won't regret it. Uh, But for now, as we always say, thank you for listening, and all the best.